Hello everyone and welcome back to CC Airwaves. This is the latest episode of Inspiring Stories of Healing and Hope. My name is Paige Matillo and I am here with the directors, Director of Cemeteries, Andre La, and Kelly and John Boland. Hi guys, how are you today? Good. I, I know, it's, um, this is a very tough, tough topic. Um, in life, you, you meet people for a number of different reasons, and I will never, ever forget. I was out um, with my wife. We were doing some shopping. I happened to take that afternoon off, and um, I got a call from our FSR out at uh, All Souls, and um, he talked about Colin. And um, I'll never forget how, and I really didn't know you guys. I saw you at church. Um, I saw you at the Y every every morning at 5.30 a.m. And um, for whatever reason, um, I will I will never forget what uh, what I felt that that time that day when I got that phone call. And I can't even begin to imagine um, what the two of you went through. And so your strength and how you survived and how. Uh, you just the the resilience of your relationship, your marriage. Um, what were what I really um, was hoping that, uh, and I'm so thankful that you're willing to share your story here today, because it is um, there are so many people struggling, and um, I think they need to hear from you that they they will survive. I'm not. They're not going to. The grief will always be there. The hole will always be there. But um, you know. They can smile again, um, albeit with that difficulty of having the not, you know, not having their child with them. But um, a couple weeks back, when we had a, a, a we had an interview with another uh, lady who lost her son, and her um, she's she came to that place where she knows that her son is part of her future. And I thought that was such a such a pointed way of just you know resolving in her mind that you know what um i'm thankful that i had him i'm, I'm thankful that i was here with him and i'm th i know that someday we will be together again and i know john you and i have talked about it often how <clears throat> you just know one day so um you know i i'm not asking that we go into what happened that day i'm asking that uh we talk a little bit about the after and and how you've have you reached a point? Your strength, both of you, has always amazed me. How you've how you've struggled through and survived it all. So, um, I'll let either either one of you go ahead. Let let let, let our families know. Uh, well, um, I I've said this for twelve years now that uh, October eighth, two thousand ten. Um, was the most defining uh, time in my life. You know, you think at the end of your life, um, you would reflect on the uh, the beautiful things that happened in your life, like your marriage, um, your graduation, of course, your the, the birth of your children, uh, which was absolutely amazing. But it all all got wiped out on on October eighth, and. Uh, uh, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was, it was beyond difficult. 
Um, you know, uh, I'm here 12 years later, and with the help of a lot of good people like Andre here, who I met at the YMCA, um, like him, so many people came out to help us. And you really need to lean on probably three things. And I, I believe your faith is first. And I met my wife in uh, two, 1998, and uh, she had an, an immense and deepness with Christ, way more than I did. Uh, and luckily I had my whole life of Catholicism behind me. Uh, so we both had our spiritual muscles developed in case something like this happened. And uh, we totally leaned on our faith, our friends and our family. Um, and, you know, it, interestingly, a good point is, is that as human beings, even though we're husband and wife, Kelly and I, uh, we recovered differently. And uh, with God's grace, um, Kelly, my wife, kept the family together. She was way stronger than I was. But there was times if she had a bad week or a bad day, for some reason I was having a good day. And I would be able to pick up. We had three other children. Colin was the youngest. Uh, there's Claire, Brendan, and Shannon, and they're all about 16 months apart. So uh, we had a uh, six-year-old, a seven-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And they needed their mom and father there. And uh, it was just amazing. There was days that I couldn't focus, I couldn't talk, I couldn't think. Uh, and Kelly would just jump off the couch and cook and do laundry um, and stuff like that. So together, um, it balanced out that we were able to get through it uh, as parents to try to be there for our kids. But internally, we were struggling with a lot of questions of why why this happened to us. We felt we were good Christians. I know I struggled with, uh, I spent a year trying to figure out what I did in my life to deserve it. Um, I thought I was punished for something. And uh, it took a long time to get over that, those thoughts. And it was uh, typically, people that helped me the most were my friends and family, but above and beyond that were the people who came out and met us that we had no idea who they were, who lost children 20 years before us, 12 years before us, and five years before us. And uh, we immediately went into counseling, met a, a great woman. But in our second meeting, she told us, I never went through this. I only read books on how to help you deal with this. And I knew right at that point, that wasn't the right person to talk to. So uh, I met four or five different people that stepped into my life and uh, made sure that Kelly and I were having the right thoughts um, and that, that we were walking in the right direction and not the wrong direction. And Andre, you were one, you offered the assistance of uh, Deacon de Gracia, I pronounce his name. And I got a letter from him in the mail telling me about the story of him losing his two kids. 
And I immediately called him because his number is at the bottom of the letter. And he came over and uh, I think we met him two or three times, didn't we, Kelly? And he told us his story. And like every other parent that came to us who had lost children before, they told us that one day that we would be able to smile and laugh and that we would be able to enjoy life again. And uh, I was a thousand percent convinced they were not telling me the truth. But they did. Well, Jen, I know from both of you, and get, and it has been a privilege knowing you, and I, you know how many times I've told you I wish I never met you, <laughs> because we met, as because Colin died, and but we were meant to meet, and we were meant to become friends, and uh, just you know Kelly and I talking about uh, you know buying those extra those extra bags of rice, or you know talking about uh, um, Brendan coming down here to work. Um, you know, I, I, full disclosure, we've become, <laughs> to all our listeners, uh, we have become very good friends. Our sons, <clears throat> your, if, if it wasn't for Brendan, my son would not have picked up hockey, and, uh, and I wouldn't have enjoyed those, uh, those times uh, standing with you in that cold booth watching, uh, you know, watching as they, uh, you know, committed a penalty or two. So um, it's, been, uh, it's been a real privilege, um, you know, getting to know you, and, and I know that it, it's the heartache that's there. I mean, Kelly, you and I have talked about um, Colin, and one of the things that um, I remember a conversation we had that one of we, we talked about Colin one day, and we talked about just him, and uh, we talked a little bit about that fear of not of, of people being unwilling to talk about their memories of him because then he just disappears, and that's something that you know I think many parents suffering the, the loss of a child fear more than anything, is that all of a sudden, it, it's as if um, he wasn't here. Uh, just like when he was supposed to graduate from eighth grade, there you had his, you know, in honor of his graduation too. Um, and it was uh, it was an amazing thing. And I know you've, you've really worked to keep his memory alive um, with your family, um, with the rest of us that, that are your friends, um, you know, I guess um, I know you've felt his presence in your life. Um, that smoking tractor is probably one of them. <clears throat> um, Kelly, what you know? Can can you tell us about maybe um, some of those things that have been those little those little signs or those little hints that he's with you always? It's amazing. People will tell you that, you know, they get these signs and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is so true. I mean, we have seen so many. Um, and I think it's just things that you you notice, you're more aware of um, just because, you know, he's always on our minds. So John Deere tractors are a big thing. Um, yes, our neighbor... John tells a better story than I do, but um, I don't know. That was about a week after, and it was the first time we laughed and laughed to the point of crying. <laughs> just, uh, just a funny story with his tractor blowing up or something, all this smoke coming out. Um, but signs all the time. I think rainbows are always a big sign for me. Um, always the John Deere tractors and and we see them at the most unusual places yeah. sometimes you know I'll just be out for a run and then oddly you know 
here comes on the side of the path a John Deere tractor. You know, just that shouldn't even be there. But um, I don't know. Can you think of um, other? Well, Go I'm going to interrupt you because that's that is one of the best stories. Was the smoking tractor? <laughs> Because it was, you know, John, you do you do tell it well because it was brand new, right? And you were driving back from you were. I think we were driving back from All Souls. It you was were driving back from All Souls. We made the arrangements. A horrible, a horrible time. So it was time. a horrible time, and we pulled onto the road, Art Street, and it looked like the whole neighborhood was on fire. The amount of smoke that was coming out of this tractor, it was just a, a yard tractor to cut grass. And uh, and a brand new one. And a brand new one. And his name was uh, Gray. What was his first name? Do you remember? Anyway, they moved away a few years ago. But he was on the tractor. And as we were driving down, and we were like, what's on fire? And we look. And he's sitting on this tractor. How it created that much smoke coming out. But his face, he was looking back. And his eyes were so big, like. You know what he was thinking in his mind without saying the bad words here on this uh, interview, but his facial expression, he didn't even see us. He was like, he had no he had no idea what was going on, but his facial expression, just, Kelly and I didn't say anything, we just started laughing and we could not stop laughing. And uh, I know. It was just like Colin, sent us that moment just to, to let us it. know that we're going to be okay. We're going to smile again. And we did. And uh, he wanted you to laugh. And you know, out of all of our children, if you talk to all of our friends, they thought he was the funniest one. He was definitely, he had a great sense of humor. Uh, he was older than his time. And uh, he like, was like, like all children. He was, he was you, right? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I don't know if that was good or bad, but uh, everybody liked him. And uh, his, his siblings loved him, and everybody loved him. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, here we are 12 years later, right? Still pulls a lot of tears out. And, uh, and I still don't know how I'm going to get through this. But I've realized I can get through 12 years. I don't know if I can make 15, but yeah. I can get through 12 years. But there's, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our faith. That's the only thing that saved us. The only thing. Because it gave us hope. And hope, I hope that hope. we will see him, that we will be reunited. Out of this whole interview, I would tell you the most important thing I would tell anybody hope and I uh, read a quote just recently like two weeks ago a good friend of mine sends uh, uplifting quotes from very popular people throughout history in the world and I don't remember who the author was of this quote but it said hope is as important as breathing and oxygen to live on this planet and I will say that I believe hope is probably more important than oxygen because when you lose a child, or at least for me, I know we're being through Kelly's mind, is that it's over and you try to find a way to end it. And I know that's common because a lot of people who lost children asked me if we were gonna hurt ourselves. 
the first few weeks. And you want to. And uh, I will compare losing a child as like being on a big cruise ship in the middle of the ocean. And you hear these stories of people fall off, right? I don't know how they fall off these big cruise ships. But I felt like I fell off a cruise ship in the middle of the night. And I hit the water and I came up. And the water was really turbulent and it was dark and it was cold. And I kept swimming after that boat and screaming for somebody to hear me that I went overboard. And I kept swimming for that boat and it kept getting farther away until the lights disappeared. And I was sitting in the middle of the ocean and I didn't know which way to swim. And I think if you're in that situation, you know what's gonna happen. So you stop treading water. So in the first month I realized that hope was, was gone. But you know, I think we all wake up as humans that tomorrow's gonna be a better day. Whatever's going on in your life, it'll get better. Your, your wounds will heal. But we are so down and dark in such a bad place. You don't think you're coming out of it. Just like I didn't think I could reach land or the boat when I fell overboard. And it was at that point I realized hope. It's why we do everything in life. You get up, you wanna make your kids great the next day, your wife happy the next day, or the sun's gonna be up. But when that hope is gone, it's, it's a pretty dark place to be in. And uh, I always prayed growing up, but I really started praying hard. And selfishly or unselfishly, I always prayed to God to help Kelly and the kids, not me. It doesn't surprise me with you. You were always more concerned about those that you, those, your, your wife and family, and you're, I've always known you to be someone very concerned about others, and maybe that's one of the reasons that you have survived as, as well as you have. Um, could you tell, there's a lot of couples out there that are struggling right now with a death of a child. Um, you know, we've had some recent horrible news from a variety of families. Um, and I know they're looking for answers. They're looking for how am I going to survive? And they are where you were 12 years ago. And um, I really think they need to hear that message of hope. And, and this is part of it. And then, you know, how did you two, Kelly, how did, you know, a mom who's suffering the death of her child and looking, looking at her husband and how do you, how do you survive that? How do you, how do you two survive? How do they from you get that message that they'll be okay, that, that maybe not be okay, but they will smile again. And they will be able to keep going. I think that was the biggest thing is I didn't think I would, wouldn't be able to keep going, um, but we have kept going for 12 years. I think um, the other kids, Claire, Brendan, and Shannon, they just gave me the strength. I had to keep going for them. If, if we didn't have any other kids, you know, I think we would just, we would have to go keep going for each other. And as John said, we, we went about our grieving process very differently. But at the 
at the end of the day, you just have to give each other grace because there's going to be hard days. There's going to be some really dark days and you just, you have to give each other grace to, to get through that, that time, that day, that week, that month, whatever it might be. Um, like John said, our, our foundation was strong and that helped a great deal. We had so many people praying for us. And I think that was one of the biggest contributors, like being out in the ocean. I just, I felt these, you know, lifelines, these, you know, raft boats or, you know, buoys or just something, you know, to grasp onto, you know, periodically, you know, you get something and it just keeps you afloat. It keeps you going. And then eventually, you know, you feel like you're getting somewhere. You know, I, uh, I, I came obsessed with, uh, again, I thought I was being punished for something I did in my lifetime, but I couldn't figure out what it was. But I, like we said, we always went to church, but I, I started diving harder into the Bible after Colin died, and it was like I couldn't, I couldn't stop reading it every night. I needed to be... I needed to be near God because that's where my son was, right? And uh, so after I kept reading the Bible over and over, I, I'm like, I'm gonna go buy more books. And remember when we would go to the bookstore? I'd buy every book on Jesus, every book about heaven written by pastors, priests. I'd come out, I mean, literally, when I would tell you, wasn't I coming up with like eight, eight of them? Boom. And I'd read them from every author. And then I started reading about people. Because when you lose a child, my son was five. He could tie his shoes. He was just too lazy and didn't want to tie his shoes. <laughs> and he always put the wrong shoe on the wrong foot, right? He didn't care. He's like, I'm just walking to the car. Who cares what foot it's on? But anyway, some of the crazy thoughts that go through your head is, who has them? Who's feeding them in heaven? Who's dressing them? Like, it's just... That was our job, right? So I bought a lot of books on heaven. And then I started reading about near-death experiences. And it gave me a lot of comfort because a lot of these stories that were written by people were non-believers, all right? And, then, and a lot of them, they're very, uh, very smart people. I mean, there, there are some movies made, but it was, it was uh, consistent about how beautiful it was and how everything was perfect. And the common thing amongst all those people that had these experiences, and they were proven to be clinically passed away by the doctors for like 10 or 15 minutes, and then they got a heartbeat and brought them back. The consistent thing was none of them wanted to come back. Even though they had kids, you know, it might've been a mother of 34 or whatever, they left a family, they're crying. They said the sense they felt is they were, they were finally home. All the pain, the pressures of earth were gone. And it was those books about heaven, what they saw, what they experienced, calmed me down and gave me, gave me peace, you know? And then I would go to work that day and I'd come home and I'd have to read another book. 
And my mom would yell at me because she was saying with us, hey, there's people here to see you. And I'm like, I don't want to see anybody, I want to read. Because if I felt like I was reading about heaven, I was in close to heaven and what he was experiencing. So, and I prayed a lot, you know, and, and praying is a form of you know, like meditation. And as Andre knows, the first time we met, usually when I went from the workout room to the gym, he said, I do my prayers over there every morning. And I still do them, I did them this morning. And uh, whenever I find that my anxiety starts to climb, I'm having a bad day about Colin, I pray and it gives me peace. I don't know if it works for everybody, but it worked for me. I think that um, for most people, dealing with the death of a child, um, it, it does create a darkness that um, if not for everybody, it creates this darkness that you may not see a light at the end of the tunnel. And yet the two of you with your faith, um, you did see that light and you did see that there would be a time that uh, through your faith, through the belief that Colin's okay, that, you know, I mean, his earthly presence is no longer here, but I am, I've been doing this for a long time. You've known me for quite a few years now and you know how I feel about what I do and why I'm here. And um, if there is one thing that I have concluded after doing this for 22 plus years is that we do not end. We, I, I've talked to people who have no faith. I've talked to people who, you know, I mean, when I say no faith, yes, actual atheists. And they look at me and, well, I live on in the memories of my loved ones and you know, they have all these nice ways of looking at how, you know, what happens to you. And I, I live on in my body, feeding the, the earth and nourishing the earth. And, you know, they, like I say, they have these wonderful ways of, of denying that there is something beyond uh, this, the crazy world that we live in. And I, the only conclusion I can come to is, is heaven. That there is, that, you know, I've, I've known so many people that have so, suffered so many tragedies and I will, I, you cannot convince me, no matter, no matter what, that there is, that, that somehow this is it. Um, you will never convince me that Jesus Christ um, didn't come, didn't rise, didn't, you know, that I, I don't need, I have faith because that's how we get there. But in my, for me, I know, I, I just am absolutely convinced so the tragedy when you lose someone that you love this much is that they are physically removed from your life um, but they are now part of your future and I think that when when I heard that from that lady that we talked to a few weeks back and the way she described that her son is now part of her future it was just it was such a moving way of, of thinking about that you know how we impact each other and and in tragedy we find we find those people that that care about us and love us and just like how you and i found each other that day walking around the gym and when you told me that you sell silicone i knew exactly who you were because i knew that tony i asked tony to come out to see you too um because i can't imagine a greater tragedy than losing two children in a in a in a car accident 
coming back for a holiday. I can't remember if it was Christmas or Easter. Or, um, and it, you know, it's been a while. And um, he's a good man. Great man. And I've met so many wonderful people doing what I do. And that's why I just, um, the two of you have amazed me in how you've survived it. And Kelly, you and I talked recently about, you know, the survival and how it is, it is a day, it, it is daily. It is a grief journey. And um, how you just, every day you wake up and, I mean, it's, it's not that he, he's, he's there. He's part of every day. And, um, you know, to that young mom that's facing that journey right now at the beginning of it, you have words for her. And you, this can apply to a lot of moms, but if you had to talk to that one mom, what would you tell her? There's so many things. You know, the earliest days, it was just, um, no, we didn't see the light, you know, at the end of the tunnel. We did not see that light. It was, it's it was just all black. But, but eventually, I, you know, I just had to, um, I had to just take it one, one step at a time. And in the beginning, it was just trying to get through, you know, the next breath. That's. That was my focus, getting through the next breath, you know, and then I was able to, um, you know, get through a few hours or get through a day and, you know, it, it gradually increased. Just, um, you gotta have hope, you know, you have to um, dig into your faith as much as possible because that's what's gonna give you that hope. And you, you can get through just, you know, like you were talking about uh, just keeping your child, you know, in, I don't want to say in everyone's mind, but just not being afraid to talk about about them and, uh, and, and, and keeping them alive, you know, in your, in your mind and and just knowing that there will be a day, there will be a day that you are reunited. And I don't know how that all works. If you somehow make up for time lost, if you, I, I don't know how it's gonna work, but I just know that, that our family will be together again. It's the mystery of heaven. You know, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, I remember uh, you guys used to come in uh, we used to go to church around the same time. I don't know, was it 10 o'clock mass? Yeah. Yeah, before we kind of switched over here to St. Mary's in Collinwood. And um, and so I would see the fa your family of four walk in. And um, I guess the reason I, I always thought about that is because, you know, we, um, Pam, we lost a baby in between Alexia and Nico. And, um, and I always wondered, you know, with your four, I thought, oh, you know, I, I wonder what life would have been like had the fourth one been here would would it still have been three would, would it still have had nathan i can't imagine life without nathan as you well know but um and i remember I, I remember watching as you guys would walk in and one day the little guy wasn't there i didn't know who you were 
And I thought to myself, oh, he must be out with friends or, you know, maybe he had a sleepover with relatives. And, um, and then I found out that he was your, your son who died. And it really had an impact on me, too. And um, it, uh, it amazed me how strong you guys were at church, how you became a Eucharistic minister. And it really, um, it, uh, I guess that's what, <clears throat> it's in, in your faith that you find that hope and that peace. And by not giving up on God, because God didn't give up on you. Tragedy took your son, but God brought him into his embrace. And I think you, I, I, I believe you know that. Oh, we know it. We know it. And when you talk about faith, one of the people that helped me, you know, things happen for, for a reason. And one of my good friends from high school was working for me, but staying in my house a lot because he was from Pennsylvania. He would told me one night before Colin died, hey, you've done really well, you got a nice family, you got beautiful kids, I'm proud of you. And something came up and he told me about this story about his uncle, which I couldn't remember. I was in high school when it happened, or maybe I was in college. It was 1990, right when I graduated from college. But his uncle played football at Pitt, won a national championship as a linebacker had three kids, was, you know, his wife was a nurse, he was a salesman, and he let his kids stay with his father, the grandfather of the children. And uh, while well, him and his wife went to Columbus for work, his father, who was like 76, missed a stop sign on a country road early in the morning, and a truck hit the car and he lost both of his parents, which at the time he didn't care about. But I mean, shouldn't say that, but two of his three kids were killed on impact. And one was in a coma and he lost both of his parents. Uh, and Kevin told me a story and I still remember sitting that night like with my mouth wide open, like, oh, I couldn't live if that happened to me. There's no way. And I go, what's your uncle do now? And he goes, oh, he's a pastor and his wife's a pastor of a non-denominational church. And the night Colin died when we were walking out of the hospital, that's all I could think was that story. And Kevin was one of my top 20 best friends. It wasn't in my top five, but I called him first because that story was right in my head. And I said, Kevin, my son, Pat, he, knew, he knew Colin. I said, my son passed away tonight. I'm at the meet, you know. Meet your uncle. And that was at eight o'clock, maybe nine o'clock that night. The next morning at about 10 in the morning, my doorbell rang the night after Colin died. And there was a strange man there. And I go, hello, and he goes, are you John? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I'm Jim Chapin, Kevin's uncle. He drove up to see you? He never met me. Kevin called him at midnight. He drove two hours up. And you remember that? He laid in our front room with us. We didn't have, we had just bought a, a new house, so we didn't have all the rooms furnished with furniture. So we sat on the floor and he cried with us. 
and told us his story. So he was beside me for at least six months, calling me like three times, calling, coming up and visiting. And I had to ask him once, about a year into it, because he, he really lifted me off the ground. He was really instrumental in my recovery. I said, so you were a salesman and your wife was a nurse? He goes, yeah. I go, when did you decide to become a pastor and a, your wife become a pastor of a non-denominational church? He goes, right after the accident. He goes, we made a ton of money as an income. We have a small church with 60 people maybe in it. We don't have a lot of money. But being close to God is being close to our children. So they give up their careers. They go to Africa, they feed the poor. And that tragedy changed him. Him and his wife and his one daughter who lived. Uh, and he believes that was his calling through that tragedy was to help more people and be closer to God. And, you know, and all these people that we met, the common denominator and the ones that were smiling and happy and that were helping us was their faith in God. It was. You know, I lost my dad when I was 13. I was the oldest of four. I'm not going to lie. I tried the, uh, the liquid medication, right? Beer. Get away with the pain when you're 16, 18. But every morning you woke up and those same demons were in your head. And I knew when Colin died that I wasn't even going to go near that stuff. Uh, so for me, faith. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you when God, God helped me. Um, you cry a lot on this one. <laughs> but it was uh, about April or May. It was about six months after Colin passed away. As I told you, I always ask God, I said, for all the power you have in this universe, just give it to Kelly and the three kids. Don't worry about me. I'll get through it. I'll get through it. I'll get through it. Just help them. And then I went to the cemetery every night, 2.30 in the morning, 3. I couldn't sleep. You know you were breaking the rules, right? I know. I read the sign on the front <laughs> after sundown. And I didn't care because I knew if the sheriff caught me in there, I'm like, I own, I own property in here. So I bought some land. But uh, so uh, it was after work. It was a rainy day. I was driving from Mentor down to Chardon where I live. And I was crying so hard that I shouldn't have been driving a car. I didn't even have my head up. I was, I couldn't. Couldn't see, I was crying so hard. It's okay, John. Yeah. I told him, I told God, I go, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I wanted it to be over, and it was the first time I asked him about me. I thought it was a selfish move, because I just wanted him to help Kelly and the kids. Couldn't take it. And this is where the weirdest thing happened to me. 
it stopped raining and the sun came out and I was heading west by Arby's, the Shard and Bev, do you know where that is? Yeah, sure. Tavern. So I was driving west and it stopped raining and the sun came out and there was this huge rainbow. Like it feels, I know this is gonna sound weird, but I felt like he, I felt like God was sitting next to me and I looked over, there was nobody there, but he was there, I swear to God. I, you don't have to convince me. There was that. something warm that came over. I know people think it's weird when I tell these stories, but he waited for me to ask, to ask for help. And when I did, he sat next to me and I felt this warm feeling like he was going to be okay. I didn't hear anything. I just felt him. I felt the Lord. But it wasn't until I asked. And you know, if somebody told me that story, I probably wouldn't believe him. And I don't care what anybody thinks about my story between me and God, right? So that's, that's a moment I'll, I'll never forget. It's a beautiful story and I'm glad you, I'm glad you shared it. I know you've shared it with me and I wanted, um, I was hoping you would share it today. Um, both of you, um, I know this has been, I know this was a difficult thing for you today. Um, to our listeners, I had to convince Kelly because this is a hard thing for both of you to talk about. And um, I really, um, I know to all those who will be hearing this, um, you are listening to two of the most amazing people I know that have survived the tragedy of the death of their four-year-old son. And uh, it's broken my heart many times to talk to both of you. And I treasure the friendship that we've developed over the years. Um, although I still wish we never became friends because that means Colin would still be, he's still with us, he's just not here. And um, I knew that, um, I knew that those families out there suffering the loss of a child as recently as just a few days ago, um, they're going to need to feel your strength and they're going to need to hear your message of hope and that it may, that, that healing will come, but it is a journey, and it is going to be a journey filled with heartache and hardship, and they're going to have to turn to each other um, as husband and wife and find strength in each other to, to get through those moments of, of darkness to find that light. I want to thank you both for being here with us today, and um, thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Um, when I took Kelly upstairs, John, just so you know, I took her when I knew I could see that she was. So we went up to my office, and in there is the uh, I have a an old statue of the Pieta. It's in a it's an old sick call. It's a very very common with uh, Eastern Europeans and Southern, you know, me being a good old Southern Slav. Um, it's it's just one of those things, and um, I reminded. Uh, I'm always reminded by that, that, you know, we see our Blessed Mother as, you know, Mary, and, and 
she's a saint, she's our blessed mother, our lady, but sometimes we just need to see her as a mom holding her son. And in that, in her pain, we find our peace because she's there with us and she walks with us in her humanity. So God bless both of you. Have a blessed Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you.